Welcome into the show. This is the Daniel Workman Show, and this is yours truly coming to you live from the Dream Imaginate Sports Studios. It is 9 a.m. on the East Coast. This is your 6 a.m. West Coast wake-up call in all time zones in between. Thanks for tuning in again today. This is the first Friday show of the Daniel Workman Show, the fifth show and unfortunately I want to address something from the very top um, we had some technical difficulties yesterday as we are you know still getting everything sorted out here with the studio and and uh, had some audio issues and um, so with that um, with that issue we lost the audio for the show yesterday and um, you know it, it's it's unfortunate. Um, obviously, we're not happy about it. I, I certainly wasn't happy about it. But you know what? You, uh, you you pick yourself back up and you keep going. And, and that's what we're going to do. And um, so, you know, we're just going to we're, we're continuing to, um, you know, to, to, to keep moving things uh, forward and continuing to to try to. Uh, 
you know, tweak some things and make some things, uh, you know, work exactly the way that we want them to. Um, and, and with that, um, you know, there's going to be some, um, you know, issues along the way. And, um, and so we want to, to continue to, uh, continue to, to sort through those things. And, you know, if you're having, you know, any issues, whatever, you know, feel free to, to, to reach out to us. Um, you know, we're still sorting through, um, you know, all of these, uh, things as well. And, um, and so we are, we are definitely working towards sorting out, um, the, the technical issues as we go. So bear with us, you know, we'll get everything sorted out. Um, and, and, and we'll get everything kind of, you know, put together. Um, so anyway, that is that. Thanks for tuning in. And, uh, and, and like I said, we will continue to, to work through some of those issues today on the show. We are joined by John Townsend coming up here in a few minutes. Um, yesterday, the show that you were, uh, unable to, um, Unable to hear is um, Sheldon Grizzle was our guest yesterday, and, and he has graciously agreed to um, to to come back on the show uh, here very soon, and we are going to uh, try this again with him. Uh, it was an incredible interview, and I wish I wish you guys would have heard it yesterday. I wish we would have been able to save it with the archive, but uh, unfortunately, just uh, things didn't work out, and uh, so. On to the next one, and, and we'll get the next one. And uh, big thanks to Sheldon and the Chattanooga Football Club for uh, being willing to come back on uh, despite our, our technical issues yesterday and and give it another go coming up here soon. So uh, as soon as we have that kind of finalized um, and, and the details set up, we will we will uh, announce that and look forward to that interview because, again, that was an incredible, incredible interview. He had some great insight Um in, into the founding of Chattanooga Football Club, kind of what they're doing now, and kind of looking forward. It was really, really good and insightful. So, and and, and so, I think today's interview with John is going to be uh, another great interview as well. So, that'll come up uh, here in a few minutes. Um, I don't know if you saw this. Uh, we we actually tried to talk about this yesterday, and we're we're unable to do so, you know, due to the technical difficulties. But um, there was an article that came out. Uh, by um, talking about, excuse me, uh, the the uh, uh, La Liga uh, views on connecting internationally, um, and um, one of the, the 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 main points of this article um, had to deal with um, Ramon Loarte, and he is the chief marketing officer of Sevilla. And he was talking about how La Liga had been lazy and late to recognize the value of marketing to an international audience, but is now focusing on growing its audience around the world. And uh, this is part of the reason why they have been considering playing matches in the U.S. Because they, they, they recognize that, that, US, that U.S. soccer, American soccer, is a... It is a, a, a giant commercially, but it is a sleeping giant when it comes to 
soccer. There is so much untapped potential, untapped revenue, untapped um, uh, commercial deals, partnerships here in America. And, and so they, they are, are, are realizing this and they have part of this came because they were looking at how the premier league basically got a 20 year head start on this mentality shift with the premier league. They started looking at how do we globalize? How do we build the premier league around the world? And so La Liga is, is really trying to play catch up now with that. And, um, so one of the things that, that they're looking at is is how they, they're looking to create branches and offices in different parts of the world. Um, he, he went on to say it's bad for us to be that lazy or to have been that lazy, but now everything's over and all the clubs are pushing La Liga and La Liga is doing a great job in terms of internationalization. Um, one of the things that, that happens when you are adopting this global mindset when you realize that you are part of the global soccer ecosystem you change the way that you make decisions there are different factors now that are involved in in how you process what choices you make and so one of the one of the things that have influenced recent decisions with la liga uh, has to do with announcements of fixtures. So Loarte went on to say that he favors La Liga changing their uh, their practice of not announcing match days and kickoff times until about two weeks ahead of games, citing that the Premier League usually finalizes each month's schedule approximately six to eight weeks in advance, allowing foreign fans time to plan trips. That's one of the disadvantages of our league, Luarte said. I hope that in the near future, everything will be solved regarding that because I truly consider that it will affect international people coming to Seville. Um, Alarson, who is um, the... Um, Chief Business Officer of Real Batiste was also uh, interviewed in this um, article, and and he talked about how La Liga remains the most important competition in Spain, and that Barcelona and Real Madrid should not be enticed by any plans to increase European competition at the expense of the domestic league. Many top clubs um, want Champions League games to be played on weekends and more Champions League games against each other. In my opinion, Barcelona and Madrid, they will lose more if they leave the domestic league rather than they would win. Because at the end, the real passion for Real Madrid and Barcelona is from Spain. I think it is a mistake, and I think all the big clubs in Europe, they will find out the way to maintain the domestic competitions in good health. So these are, are two executives in La Liga that are recognizing the importance of, A, uh, adopting a global mindset and recognizing that, like it or not, whether you you are in favor of this or not, you are connected with all of these other clubs, all of these other leagues, all of these other projects, these federations, confederations around the globe. And 
if you ignore it, you ignore it at your own peril. They are realizing that, look, we gave the Premier League a 20-year head start. We were slow to recognize that we needed to engage globally and internationally and not just um, that, not just um, um, Barcelona or Madrid, but as a league and as a collection of clubs in the, in the Spanish system. And it's important to, to, to recognize that this is the same mentality that needs to, to be uh, adopted here in America, and not just from the federation level, not just from Major League Soccer, not just from the USL, but from all clubs, to recognize that you are part of a global soccer ecosystem, There are not a lot of opportunities to play professional soccer in America. It's a sad shame. It is a sad state of affairs. It's ridiculous. Um, Our country, both uh, geographically, uh, population-wise, demographically, is diverse. It is large. It is massive. And, you know, if you think about it, the, the U.S. is really like... Europe, in that England, France, Spain, Italy, Germany, Holland, all of these countries, Portugal, Italy, all of these, all of these leagues and clubs, geographically, financially, all the way around, every way you look at it, America alone is their equal in potential. Their collective in Europe is America's potential by itself that's how far we are underperforming and and part of that comes down to the mentality and even at our lowest levels our clubs need to get to a place where we recognize that we are attached to a global soccer ecosystem and there with with that change in mindset with that shift in mindset it, it affects several things number one because there's not a a plethora of professional opportunities here in America, if you are a club and you're developing players, it may be easier for you to develop players and showcase them in international markets. It may be it may be in Central America, it may be in South America, it may be in Mexico, it may be in Europe, it may be in Asia, but it, there are other opportunities around the world. Um, to showcase your players, take them on trips, scouting trips, etc., that that go beyond what you may have access to here. Another aspect of, of that shift is when a club is thinking globally, when a club and in, in, in leagues begin to think of themselves as being a part of the global ecosystem, the the mentality mentality of the club also shifts in the way that you handle your communications it it shifts the way that you handle your marketing it handles uh shifts in in the way that you handle your fixtures for example if you've paid any attention in in recent years there have been clubs like detroit city chattanooga fc others who have reached out to clubs outside of america for uh, exhibition matches and it that does a lot of of great things for the community it also gives the opportunity for those clubs to showcase their players 
to these international clubs. And, you know, it only takes it only takes one scout or one coach believing in a player to change that player's life, to change their destiny, to give them that chance that they've always wanted. And when we start to think bigger, we start to think global, uh, like like La Liga has has started to do. It really uh, shifts the the decisions we make, and, uh, and and so that's important. The other piece that I think uh, is is really good that that both um, of these guys uh, recognize is the fact that sporting merit. Um, should should always be a part of how we do the game globally. We talked about this a couple of days ago um, with Agnelli from Juventus uh, with his proposal to shift the Champions League away from sporting merit in in more into an invitational, and um, and and that is. Um, that that is definitely um, um, a uh, a problem in terms of the Champions League, as we discussed on Wednesday. But on uh, with 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 these uh, two executives from La Liga, it, it's definitely a um, a point of of emphasis for them that the Champions League should also be. Um, a sporting merit entry and not damaging the domestic league that it should not become its own isolated league uh, uh, separate from domestic play so that that your Manchester United's Liverpool's um, Real Madrid's Barcelona's Juventus's Bayern Munich etc that they're that they're only playing continental matches instead of domestic that that their success is actually dependent also on their domestic play. And I think that's important because one of the things that they highlight that is, that is key is the, the uh, fact that the, the real passion comes from Spain. And um, that is that's true because if you stop and think about it, the passion level is going to be the highest the closer you are to home base where you can see it, you can touch it, you can feel it. I can speak to this. I, I'm a, I'm a, a massive Barcelona supporter. Um, it is my favorite club in the world. Um, and, and I can tell you that going to the Clasico last May, Iniesta's last Clasico, Barcelona, Madrid, at the Camp Nou, that experience of being there, being local, being with the people, being in the in the stadium, um, before, during, after the match, there the passion is tangible. You can feel it. It's different, and it's different than watching it on TV from from afar. And as as excited as I get, and as excited as my kids get when we are watching matches it still does not replace or come close to what you get when you are there and if that is your every day the talk of the town the, the you you run in to players and staff and you drive by the facilities and the club and it's part of the fabric of the culture it Bar FC Barcelona 
you, you cannot escape the club when you are in the city. I mean, it is just everywhere. And that is no, you know, there's no wonder why the passion level for a Barcelona or a Real Madrid or a Real Batiste or Villarreal, Real, um, Valencia, Seville, uh, Sevilla, that any of these clubs, uh, the passion level is going to be the, the hottest, the greatest, the most intense, the closer uh, you are to where they are based out of. And, and, and with the, when we look to U.S. soccer, one of the issues that we have run into is we have not figured out a way to tackle our geography. And we, we have a lot of issues in terms of not, not accepting uh, or, or fully embracing being in the global game, in the global ecosystem for what that means for player development, coaches, clubs, etc. But we've also not figured out geography. We have, we have thought that the best thing for soccer in America is to go into the biggest markets, keep everybody out that's not in the biggest markets, spread everybody out so that when you look at a map, you have, you know, Atlanta, you have New York, you have Chicago, you you have Dallas, you have Denver, you have Los Angeles, you have Portland and Seattle. You have you have this this coverage across the country in these big major metro market areas. And by doing that, we're thinking, hey, we are bringing the game across the country, but but what we are really missing here is that that a football club is hyper local it's really it's really three circles it's local it's regional and it's global so it's it's regional meaning for for that context we would talk about the the nation the country the geography of the united states obviously global the local parts where we miss it, when we spread these clubs so far apart, or when Major League Soccer puts their franchises so far apart, and your fan bases cannot easily get back and forth to matches, we we are really uh, fighting an uphill battle with one arm tied behind our back, and and many have basically just said, well, we're just never going to be able to solve that. We're never going to be able to figure that out. That's never going to be able to work. How can we get clubs closer together? The country's so big. I think what, what that is going to require is a change in mindset. In the same way that La Liga has had a shift in mindset in recognizing they're 20 years behind the Premier League, uh, there needs to be a shift in mindset in the way that we address our soccer. And that means the structure of our leagues so that they are more geographically um accessible to travel and um, and figuring out ways to then bring things together uh, from a, a continental standpoint at the highest level um, and but but everything is is below that is really kind of more on the the college super conference uh, set up more so than a national footprint 
if Atlanta was traveling to New Orleans and to Nashville and to Chattanooga, the fan bases of those four clubs, Birmingham, Miami, Jacksonville, you would see fans travel. And you would have the opportunity to see stadiums uh, throughout the Southeast in that context be looking at 30, 40, 50, 60,000 fans at matches because you would have away support. You would have, obviously, much closer uh, local rivalries. Um, Atlanta doesn't really care about New York and um you know, Dallas doesn't really care about Chicago. But Dallas cares about Austin, and Dallas cares about Fort Worth, and Dallas cares about Houston, um, San Antonio, New Orleans, um, Oklahoma City, Tulsa. And and so when we when we shift our mindset and we adopt a different mentality, we can tackle some of these problems and and find some really cool solutions that I believe would actually take the game and and raise the passion level, raise the experience, and ultimately lift the revenues and commercial opportunities for all of these clubs and leagues to become competitively, uh, to become competitive, excuse me, uh, across the globe. And, and it would give us a real shot of, of eventually becoming the greatest soccer country on earth. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see as we, you know, continue to go forward with um, the, 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 the progress that uh, we're trying to make with promotion and relegation, um, with reforms, etc., to see if, if some of these things can come to light. Uh, I certainly hope they do. Um, it would it will definitely be a big help to um, the country uh, over the long run. So uh, the sponsor for today's show is Charity Water and um, Charity Water does great work around the globe and they bring clean drinking water to people that need it. It changes their lives. And um, if you are not aware of Charity Water, check them out at charitywater.org. We'll be right back after.
Welcome back to the show. We are joined by John Townsend. John, welcome to the show. Hey, Dan. Thanks for having me. So, John, tell us uh, a little bit about yourself. Kind of give us a little bit of a, a short uh, kind of uh, history of who is John Townsend. Sure, no problem. Uh, I was a former player, grew up playing the game, and typical American journey and then went to Europe as a kid and had some experiences in the Netherlands specifically and did the high school college uh, travel soccer route and then when I was done with uh, my set of playing days got into coaching and development technical development and then used my education my English degree and my master's in English to fill the void that I felt was necessary to write about the game from a, a different perspective, someone who played the game, lived the game, and um, had a unique take on, on the American uh, soccer story. And that's kind of what I do now. I balance the coaching, the writing, still play every now and then um, with trying to just speak to a larger audience and inform and, and educate myself and uh, educate others on what I feel is important with the, uh, the American soccer story. So growing up, going through that, process what did you what did you learn about american soccer versus the global game by traveling to the netherlands well i I learned that the lifestyle aspect like the game as a lifestyle just wasn't present in the united states like i felt like growing up it was an extracurricular. Uh, people saw it as, you know, an activity you did, which it sure, certainly is. When I went over to Europe, it was you took a ball everywhere you went. When you were, uh, you know, waiting at a bus stop, you were kicking a soccer ball. When you were uh, with friends, you, you weren't trying to see what was on TV. It was let's go play, uh, you know, in the street or go play in a court. Um, and when you're on your own, you, you knew that you didn't want to fall behind. So you, you had to make it a lifestyle and adopt that as, a, as part of your your psyche and your DNA every day was to just get out there and enjoy um, the process of, of becoming a better player. And there was a multitude of ways to do that, but it had to involve immersion in, in your own development. Do you think that in America, under our current system, that we're getting anywhere close to replicating that kind of culture? I think we're, attempting to replicate and emulate, but we are still uh, too far off the pace. And the the misconception I think a lot of Americans make is, yes, we are making progress, and maybe they can consider it leaps and bounds, but the rest of the world continues to make progress at the same time simultaneously. So it's not like they waited and they didn't stop their progress while we made our leaps and bounds. So I don't think that gap has necessarily uh, diminished the way we – are told it has, and I don't think it's really um, something that we can close without drastic change. I think what people need to understand is what we don't know with American soccer is pretty much infinite. Like, we don't know where we could be because we haven't really fully hit the the, the top gears. We're still stuck in first and second gear with regards to making these uh, advances in terms of adopting the lifestyle and, and giving people opportunities and accessibility in the game. 
So you've had some experience, as you mentioned, coaching, doing uh, individual player development. Um, and if am I correct in saying that you know Josh Sargent? So, um, he's he's obviously been on a a an uphill not uphill but a an upward trajectory with his career. He's grew up in the St. Louis area, um, and now in Germany in the Bundesliga, and and you know has has been uh, continuing to pro- progress there in the Bundesliga uh, with with that entirely new world that he's entered um what did you see in josh in terms of mentality um the way that he approached the game thought about the game played the game you know what what did you what did you see in him in, in that regard so josh was a the unique individual in that he was part of a club that uh expedited his development. I mean, he played different sports as a kid, like most American kids, um, but he hung around the club, uh, you know, practiced constantly, uh, found himself in an, an opportunity to go to residency, so immediately got himself in the professional mindset, like didn't want to be a competitive club player. He put himself in professional mindset to fast-track his own development, so he balanced his time between being in Bradenton and then in St. Louis and, and, and having this professional aspect of I'm going to make this my life. I'm going to make this how I train when I come back to the academy in St. Louis. I'm going to lead by example. I'm going to perform uh, when I'm with the national team or the national residency program. I'm going to make sure that I'm playing every single day. I'm doing things that are going to set me up for success at the professional level because whether it's you know in Germany, England, if it were in stateside, uh, he wanted to be a professional player. So that that development, that training philosophy for him was always pushing to the upper echelon. It was never, oh, I'm good with being an academy player, or I'm good with getting Division One offers. Yeah, those are accomplishments, but he, I think, saw the forest of the trees and saw the bigger picture and the larger body of work that was there if he was able to take that chance and create that opportunity for himself. So he was driven, um, very nice uh, personality, um, but had a professional mindset from – a young age, and that's what led him to the success and the platform in which he finds himself in now. I I've said this, and and uh, for for several years, and and you and I have known each other for for a little while now. Um, that players who make it in America make it despite the system, not because of it. Um, and I I when I see a player like like Josh or um. Weston McKinney, um, when I when I see players like Chris Richards, you know, from Birmingham, Alabama, and to watch and and read and listen to the stories of what it took for Chris to to get an opportunity to 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 make it to Bayern Munich, he he had to leave Birmingham, Alabama, a city with that has a, a metro market size of over a million people. He had to leave that to go to Houston, Texas and live with the host family and then kind of get a couple opportunities with FC Dallas um, that came later on. And then, and then from that opportunity with FC Dallas um, and their, and their partnership with Bayern Munich, uh, he got a look at Bayern Munich and was able to, 
to make the jump over to Germany. When we when we look at all of these player stories, time and again, you look at a Josh Sargent. I mean, the idea that Josh would have to to leave St. Louis and go to Bradenton, Florida, to to make it as a professional soccer player uh, in in two thousand you know nineteen, two thousand eighteen, two thousand seventeen, etc., is absurd to me. Um, that it's not to say that that you know. If you're a if you're a good player or a great player and a club wants you and, and makes a move for you, I, I totally get that. I understand it. I mean, it happens all the time uh, over in Europe where you might be at a, a smaller club or at a different club, and um, you know Liverpool values you and they they bring you in at a young age. They did that with uh, you know Sterling and then later sold him on to Manchester City, and so I, I understand the the business of the sport, and and I'm you know totally in favor of, of, of that system. I, I just, I think it's, it's laughable to me, crazy to me really that you have these players and they, in order to get a, a real shot or a real opportunity, they're leaving like big cities to go other places just to get a chance when, um, when, when you, when you have a, a truly engaged soccer ecosystem or a football ecosystem in a country like Italy or Germany or the Netherlands, you're, you're not having to, to get up and, 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 and leave necessarily, uh, as a standard, I get the exceptions, but as a standard, you can, you can find a, a pathway to professional right where you are. And, and yes, maybe when you get a little bit older at 13, 14, 15, maybe you, you, you make a shift from your local community club and now you're maybe at, at Ajax's Academy or whatever. But this idea that to get any shot or any chance, you know, uh, in America, you, you have to go and travel hours or move entire states apart from where you live now just to get a, sh- a shot it's I think it's crazy and um, so w- what what is the scene like in St. Louis uh, what, what is the the soccer scene like a hotbed of amazing talent that produced some scores of professional players, great coaches. There's uh, an influence here, an undercurrent of the old guard of, you know, teams that made runs in the Open Cup. And there's a culture here that exists. There's a Bosnian influence. There's a great collegiate culture. But, you know, the the thing about the system here and in places like Texas and places like California and Chicago is American soccer is that a paradoxical fabrication of the sporting ethos is at war with itself. Like we want it, we're told that we are making these progress. We're all told that we it's so much better than it used to be. I disagree in a lot of ways. Like I would love to see a team from uh, a neighborhood in St. Louis, like Tudis or, um, you know, like one of the factory teams, you know, put a, a team out there, they can assemble to make an open cup run. I'd love to see a return to, players not having to leave geographical regions to compete with other good teams from other geographical regions to be able to do that within a, a, a populace. Um, not great. You know, I think that there's a lot of great things that have happened. And I think that we have made some progress 
you know, moving the needle in a positive direction as a country. But at the same time, like, I think it is absurd that we have to, you know, with the infrastructure we have, the accessibility that we could provide, the, in, the, the resources at our disposal, the, um, the sporting culture that we could capture for this sport, we have to have a max exodus of players going abroad. And I also think that we're told one thing, like, hey, we made all this progress with Major League Soccer and, and you know, the U.S. Soccer Federation peddling all the stuff, but then they're the first ones to tell us we're not ready for an open system. We're not ready for, uh, you know, training compensation or solidarity payments. We're not ready for scouting as an industry. And we're not ready for these, these barriers to entry to the next echelon of the game. So I think, yeah, I agree with you. It is absurd that somebody has to leave a country that has so many resources, such an abundance of infrastructure, such an abundance of sporting influence, go find good soccer abroad or that opportunity because here we like to funnel and, and keep that feeling firmly low and when players hit that feeling it's they're hanging up their boots at 22 because they have to go get a job instead of having this opportunity to go play a game abroad and i'm not saying you go you know abroad getting easier but at least there's multiple estuaries to, to, the, to the to the professional game here you know, you're shoehorned into a couple different paths. I was shoehorned into the collegiate path. Um, I was told you're never going to be a professional player when I was, you know, 16. Now, whether that's, you know, self-fulfilling prophecy or not, I looked at the landscape and I'm like, well, okay, there's Division One, there's an A-League, not even USL, there's MLS with 10 teams. Um, maybe they're right. Maybe college soccer is for me. And if I ever was going to go abroad, I'd have to get a work permit. I'd have to do all these other things, what have you. Now there's more opportunities in, in the U.S., but it's still confined. It's still got the, the training wheels on. And, and I think to answer your question, it is absurd. And we do have, uh, you know, a soccer team here in St. Louis that is robust. There's a lot of good players. But just like Josh, if they want to make the most of their opportunities, they're going to have to look elsewhere. They have to look to, you know, foreign countries to do that development work, which I think, again, is a ridiculous because we're told and we're, we're peddled this message that we're making these great moves in the federation or the league is, you know, it's growing, but you can be fat and grow. It's not really, you know, it's expanding, I would say. It's not really growing. So I, I, I just have a lot of criticism about that, but I think, yeah, it's absurd. I want to shift for a second and, and look at U.S. soccer on a macro level when it comes to our national teams. Um where do you think we are with the U.S. men's national team program? I think we are in a very pivotal point where we have a generation of young players who have um, better training, better technical sense. Not sure if the compete levels where we've seen in the past with players. A lot of players stationed internationally, a lot of players stationed in good academies here. Um, but what we need to do is retire the old guard. Anyone associated with the failure of the last World Cup non-qualification should be gone. It should be a complete overhaul of the playing, the player pool. And I don't, for me, I don't want to see um, Joe D'Altador or, um, you know, anyone involved in that, that last cycle because their time is gone. And, and, we, and we need to bleed the new, the new generation through. So the, the national team, um, I, I have always been critical of what we produce because I felt it's been under what we're capable of. Um, I will reserve judgment on the current coach because 
he hasn't played any meaningful games, and I, I don't know that we have been tested yet. Um, but that time is coming, and it's going to come regionally. And you know, we, you know, forget the World Cup, but we're going to see what's going to happen when we can't, or we can um, compete with teams in our in our um, federation, and and we'll see what that's like. But I, I don't know that we're any farther along than where we should be. We're always sold a bill of goods that we're making progress. We have world class talent. I have yet to see it at a consistent level um, wearing the national team kit. So, um, do I feel like we're making progress? I would say no. I feel like we're doing what we've always done produce good young players, and then they go off the wayside. They don't hit their potential, or we lose to teams that we don't respect because we feel like we're superior for whatever reason. Um, you know, the soccer landscape is a great equalizer, and we could have as much confidence and resources and marketing as we want the game played between those chalk white lines is going to tell a way different story and uh, well we'll see on the women's national team side obviously we have the women's world cup coming up this summer and um one of the things that that uh, jack gidney and i were talking about the other day on the show on the women's program is the investment that's occurring in europe and how you know he thinks and I and I agree with him that the 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 quality level, the commercial level, the passion level over the next ten years in Europe is going to grow exponentially. Now that these uh, major investments are coming in, in 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 terms of not just money, investments in time, in in resources, talent, uh, focus, energy, etc. So when we look at the women's national team program and we, we look at the state of the domestic game, the NWSL, and we, and we just kind of look at that, that whole um, sector of U S soccer. Do you think that U S the U S women's national team uh, going forward is in trouble? Do you think they're going to slip? Do you think they already have slipped? Where, where do you assess the women's national team program right now? I think there's a regression and it's evidence. And I think that the state of the national uh, game on the women's side is travesty in this country that they're not treated uh, better. I think what we're seeing is in countries that have a true footballing culture with the infrastructure to support that footballing culture, with the resources to support the, that player pool um, in countries abroad, they're literally using that on the women's side where we funnel our our young women to again the same journeyman uh cost heavy you know constricted system that for a long time we were the benefactors of other countries not realizing that they should provide for the women's game so we we were we're producing great players but the competition level wasn't necessarily as deep and robust as it is now other countries have figured it out they've made real progress and they've tapped into their real cultures and, and been able to spike in resources and align with the professional men's team, like Arsenal women, Liverpool women. And, you know, in, in Holland, you have, you know, a great women's culture coming. And it's, it's in, in England, it's, it's, it's amazing to see what the Lionesses have done. We are in trouble. I think the, the U.S. national women's team has been found out. I think that their identity is, you know, Yes, they can compete. Yes, they're still a top team. But going forward, the next five to ten years, I think Jack's got it correct. I mean, we are going to see a shift, and we're going to see a hard shift. And most Americans 
have seen the women's team only succeed, and there's been a couple wake-up calls, um, even teams like Japan. Um, you know, teams, Brazil's always been strong, but there's teams that are coming through the pipeline that are starting to put massive resources toward the women's game, and I don't know that we're matching that. I don't know that we're matching that professionally. I don't know that we're matching that at the youth level. Um, we have a ton of great talent, but are we unleashing it and giving it what it needs to actually maximize um, its ability and its potential at the top level. So the the men's national team, the women's national team, to me are are suffering in terms of potential. Um, and and it, it's the hardest thing to do in life is to recognize for yourself what your potential is, and and it's why. Even at the peak of his game, Tiger Woods had a swing coach. It's why, you know, uh, Michael Jordan realized early on in his career that if he wanted to become the best, he had to get Tim Grover. Um, the, the, you need a coach. You need somebody that can kind of help point the way, that can, can help you see your own potential, that can stretch you, that can challenge you. Um, and I, I feel like that should be the Federation's job. You know, if I, I look back to, to what happened to Germany in uh, the late 90s, early 2000s, and they, they recognized the leadership at the Federation recognized, hey, we, we're not getting it done. We have we're, we're, we're not falling behind. We have we have fallen. <laughs> we are we are um, nowhere near where we want to be. And we believe, you know, we should we should be at the top and we're not there. And and um you know, set out on a journey, uh, kind of a 10 year trajectory to change, um, German soccer, German football. And it, it was not just a Bundesliga, uh, initiative. This, this whole project, as you well know, w went all the way down into the grassroots and they, the, the Federation said, look, we are going to make changes. We're going to do uh, a lot of things differently. We are realizing that there are certain things that, we've we've relied on on the past in the past uh that are just traditionally uh were successful that are not helping us anymore and and they were willing to to make all kinds of changes but that leadership came from the federation when i look at the men's national team women's national team the uh, men's and women's professional uh semi-pro and amateur games here in the in the uh, country I feel like that's the biggest area where U.S. soccer is letting us down is leadership, um, bold, visionary leadership. Um, you know, it, it's great to, to talk about how we're making progress and, and it, it's fine and dandy to say, you know, well, we got a coach with the, everything's going to get sorted out or we're growing. You know, we've got we got 100, 150 million in a surplus now and, and you know, we want to get to 500 million. But when I when I look at at the the setup of um, you know where we are as a country, it, it's real important to keep in mind that Europe as a collective, just in TV deals alone, do about fourteen billion dollars a year, and we're we're we at the Federation are celebrating a hundred and fifty million dollar surplus. They're they're dealing in billions, and we're celebrating some pennies. Um, how do we how do we change what we do in terms of connecting at the grassroots level with the families? How do we 
how do we um, make it where the culture improves? What what needs to happen for the next Josh Sargent to have a better opportunity right there in St. Louis? Well, part of me thinks that we missed that opportunity with the election and hiring or electing somebody who is going to continue the closed door, uh, very, you know, I would say hushed tones type of management. Um, you know, I think we missed a, a big opportunity. Um, we might have lost a generation because of it. I think when you look at Germany, the 80 million people that make up the German population demanded change. And it, it, it comes down to accessibility. And we are celebrating a surplus of 150 million. We don't pay our women enough. We don't uh, empower enough grassroots development. We don't uh, have a, a federation that is invested in the game, they're invested in the business of keeping things the way they are. If we really wanted to unleash American soccer, it would have happened already. It, would, it takes a visionary. It takes risk. And we are looking at some people who are accountants who are taking the legal perspective of, you know, keeping things tight and, and, and really constricted, and we're not unleashing what this, this country is capable of. I mean, the, from the, the cost of coaching, from the cost of playing the game, even if you're not going to be a professional player, from the cost of, you know, what it takes to um, advance yourself, whether you're a player or a coach, whether you're funding this as a parent, um, we are hamstringing ourselves. There's no vision. I mean, Germany had a, uh, a great project called the Extended Talent Promotion Program, and, um, you know, I think one of the quotes was, if the talent of a century happens to be born in a tiny village behind the mountain, from now on, we're going to find them. Like, we don't have that. We don't have that. And that was in 20, 2002. Twelve years later, look what's happening. They're winning a World Cup. Um, Germans are, the Germans introduced the football knot and, and, and different innovations to, to maximize their technology, their innovation, their efficiency. They took that and put it in the football. They, they took their... Um, their ingenuity and, and put it to their use and empowered their coaches. And we don't do that here. I mean, we have so many innovators. We have so many people who are entrepreneurs. We have so many people who are willing to take that risk and, and help the game. But we, the federation fails. It fails at every stop. I mean, what has it, what has it done to empower somebody in St. Louis or somebody in Texas or somebody in Idaho that they're going to be found? I mean, like it, it, to me, I've been to many development academy uh, showcases, and I've been to a ton of competitive games. I've been to a ton of ethnic league games. I do not see a heavy U.S. soccer presence scouting there. I don't see players able to go and put themselves on a trajectory to be professional players or be the best they can be. They need to be professional um, because the federation doesn't lead by example. They don't have ambition. They just are protecting this castle, this gate, and no one's allowed in. It's hushed tones. We don't know what's going on with the coaching. And then, you know, over a year later, we have, you know, I would consider a, a pretty interesting hire considering um, his brother's influence there. But it, it's collusion. It's, it, it's a lot of things. And I know people will, will hear this and, and maybe think, oh, well, here we go. Conspiracy theory. It's not a conspiracy theory. I've seen it firsthand. I, I see it with players firsthand. I, I have players that are begging me to get them abroad. And, and you, you and I have had off-the-record conversations about this. 
and it's 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 staggering how I can't point them in a direction toward the federation that's going to empower them. It's I'm encouraging them to leave because I don't feel like their interests are looked after in this great country of ours. I mean, this is this is a, a crazy thing to even look at the the Bundesliga. All all the teams bought into this. All the five Bundesliga teams bought in. All the provincial teams, the regional league teams, bought into this. Here, we 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 can't be segregated enough. I mean, it's we have the haves and the have-nots, and if you don't have it, you didn't pay enough. And it's like it, 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 there is no merit. It, there is no cohesiveness to it. And we if we want anything like the DFB uh, talent program, um, talent development program, we we are years away. And what U.S. Soccer will do, Daniel, is they will do another Project 2010. They'll put some stuff in. They won't enact it. They will tell every reason why it can't happen. We won't have nobody who is going to take the reins and say, no, it should happen, and here's how it's going to happen. If we have to actually lose more to get through development, we'll do it. But I don't feel that we have people who are willing to get they're comfortable in their fraternity of U.S. soccer coaches and um, business people. And, and I really do feel like if I have, I have two sons, and if they want to play the game, I'm very hesitant to put them through the American system because that's all with it to me. That's all with the players that I know. And I know great players who made pro. Um, they are, like you said, in spite of the system, not because of it. It It, it is really the, the one of the saddest uh, things about U.S. soccer that players have to make it despite the system. And that's not just male players. That's female players as well. Um, everything is set up against you instead of the, the system being set up for you. And then your, your talent becomes your, your biggest, uh, factor in your, um, success or failure. Uh, talent is often, uh, really low on the list of, uh, factors, um, compared to your, your bank account, your willingness or ability to travel, etc. And, um, you know, it's a shame. We, we do, we do need to make, uh, changes there and we need to, we need, we need to get serious about providing opportunity and access to every club, every player, every coach in the country. That should be the goal of the Federation to make American soccer, U S soccer, the Federation, the greatest soccer country on earth. I will beat that drum, uh, consistently. I, I think it's, it's too small of a mentality to say that we should make soccer the preeminent sport in America. I think it should, it, it should be bigger than that. We should be dreaming and working on putting a man on the moon when it comes to our ambitions in the global game. And, um, and that would, if we think like that, that then, then it will allow us to easier come up with, and embrace the solutions necessary to get us there. So, John, thanks for joining us on the show. And um, for people that want to connect with you, um, obviously at John underscore Townsend three on Twitter. Um, what about uh, any of your other projects? Uh, your 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 blog, um, TVC, anything else you'd like to plug? Yeah, you know, I, I would say um, for coaching and player development stuff um tvc it's uh, at hup hup tvc on twitter it's my coaching uh company and i wish i didn't have this i wish clubs could provide this for players but i'm always willing to help um from remote coaching to players in st louis and chicago um i have a blog that has some more long-form stuff farpostfooty.com it's uh pretty well known and then most of my formal writing is on these football times uh, 
one of the greatest resources out there with real long-form um, journalism. So any um, avenue you want to check me out on, I'd, I'd be happy to have you read my work and connect with me. And Daniel, thank you so much for the opportunity to come on your show. I really do enjoy it. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for joining us. Uh, really, really appreciate you coming on, and we'll have you on uh, real soon. Okay, thanks. That was John Townsend. Uh, it is Friday, April the 12th, and um, we are super happy to get through our first week. Sorry again about uh, yesterday's show. Um, we will we will make that up to you, I promise with Sheldon Grizzle very, very soon. Um, look, I just want to say as we close out our first week, uh, thank you for all the feedback. Thank you for uh, following, watching, listening, encouraging, supporting uh, this show. We've got some big announcements coming up over the next few weeks of some additional projects that we're working on uh, that I think you're going to be interested in and excited about. Uh, at least we hope you are. And uh, it... it the way forward for American soccer in all things is coming together. And that means the Federation. That means Major League Soccer. That means at the lowest level of the grassroots. That means in the media. We are better together as a country when we come together as a country. We are stronger. We are able to do more faster, build bigger, quicker if we come together. And so... That is my hope. That's what I work for every single day is to help American soccer continue to progress and get better, bigger, faster by coming together. So thanks again for joining the show. You can learn more about the show and other things at DanielWorkman.com. You can also find me on Twitter at Daniel Workman. Same with Instagram or on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash WRKMN. Thanks again for joining the show. We will see you again next week.